It's great to see you all today. One of the consistent narratives or themes in our world is of competing kingdoms or competing nations or at least competing ideologies wrestling for power. You can see that at the moment in Russia and Ukraine. You've seen that recently in Nigeria's elections that have led to all sorts of complications. You see that in the US with Democrats and Republicans not being able to agree on anything. You see that in conflicting systems in nations all around the world like Afghanistan or India, Yemen, Ethiopia, Myanmar, and so on and so on. And in Bible times, you can trace the rise and fall of all sorts of kingdoms or nations. First, the Egyptians rise to power. Then they fall. The Assyrians rise to power. Then the Babylonians. Then the Persians. Then the Greeks. Then the Romans. Are any of them around today, really? Not really, no. Every kingdom rises and every kingdom falls. But there is one kingdom that will never fall. The kingdom of God. And through this year, 2023... We are, that's our theme, the kingdom of God right through this year. And for the last three weeks and today, we've been looking at Jesus. God has always reigned. He's never not been king. But a decisive moment came in the coming of Jesus when the kingdom of God broke out. And so we've looked at the, how the Old Testament prophesied the kingdom of God is going to come specifically as the Messiah comes. Then we've looked at Jesus and when he came speaking about, preaching about the kingdom of God and signs of the kingdom having come. And then we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus defines life in the kingdom. And then today in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at some parables in which we find the kingdom of God explained further to us. What is this kingdom like? What's it like to live under the reign of God? Well, we're going to find out some more today with Jesus' parables. Jesus told many parables, some of which are recorded in the Gospels, no doubt many of which aren't. Somewhere recorded between 40 and 60, depending on how you define a parable. Here's my definition of a parable. A parable is a short story taken from everyday life to aid the teaching of a spiritual truth, often causing the hearer to think deeply in order to understand it. Now, lots of Jesus' teaching is recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One third of it, approximately, is in the form of parables. If I were to ask you what are Jesus' most famous parables, I suspect you might say some of these. The parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the sower, the parable of the lost sheep. And however many details a parable may have in order to tell that short story, a parable is almost always making one or two main points. A parable is not an allegory. An allegory is a story in which everything means something and has to be, you have to find out the meaning of it. If, if any of you have read Pilgrim's Progress... Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? Those of you who haven't, shame on you. <laughs> Buy it. Read it. Essential Christian reading. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. Everything in it means something else. That's not true in a parable. A parable has one or two main points. Jesus used parables for a number of reasons. Here are three. Number one, to teach about life 
in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, of course, was Jesus' primary theme. We're told in Matthew's gospel that Jesus came and announced this, repent for the kingdom of God has come. A few verses later, he went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What did Jesus come to teach about? He, did, he came to do a lot more than teach, but he came to teach about the kingdom of God. This is what God is like He's come to inaugurate his reign in a new way. And so, as we're going to find in Matthew chapter 13, six of the eight parables in that chapter begin, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like. And Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, this is what God is like, and this is what it's like to live under his reign. And even when kingdom isn't explicitly mentioned in regard to parables, parables are still memorable, relatable, impactful stories about life in the kingdom of God, what God is like and what it's like to live under his reign. So take these for example. In Luke chapter 18, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Here's a situation, Jesus spots what's going on, and he tells a parable to explain how life is in the kingdom of God. Another one, Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at the house having a meal at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And Luke tells us this, when Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Luke chapter 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus told parables to explain what God is like in memorable, impactful ways and to explain what life is like when God is reigning. Secondly, Jesus told parables, interestingly, curiously, to both reveal and conceal the truth about the kingdom of God. To both reveal and conceal the truth about the kingdom of God. Parables revealed the truth to those who humbly, genuinely, sincerely wanted to know. But because of the nature of parables, it's like they kept hidden the truth from those who weren't actually very interested. So for example, we, we read this. The disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 13, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you who are sincerely seeking, but not to them who are not. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Then he quotes an Old Testament passage. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. For those who wanted to find out and humbly knew that they needed God and wanted to know what Jesus had to say about it, parables had meaning. But without that humility and that integrity of heart, parables just became a bit of a confusing story. Now, Jesus isn't trying to be obtuse. He isn't trying to be mysterious. He's speaking in everyday language. But it's everyday language that yet required integrity and sincerity of heart in order to find out the spiritual truth that was being taught. Andrew, our youngest son, has a dog. And we do feed her. 
So three times a day she has a meal. Her food is presented in very straightforward format. At least once a day, we also play Find It with her, which is her, it seems to be her most exciting thing in the whole world ever. You get a handful of her food, you open the back door, she goes berserk. And we throw this food up in the air and it spreads around the garden. It's called Find It. For some reason, it's just so exciting. It's much more exciting than putting her food in simple form in her bowl. We do feed her in normal fashion, and then we scatter some and say, find it. Jesus taught very plainly at times. He put it in the bowl, as it were. At other times, he's scattering truth, and for those who are eager enough to find it, they will find it, just as Bella does with her food. The meaning of parables even evaded some of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 13, we get this. Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Don't be surprised if now and again you think, what is that parable on about? Even his disciples found that. And finally, Jesus taught in parables to fulfill prophecy. Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, so was, because Jesus is speaking in parables, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, one of which was that he would speak in this kind of manner. Now, There are eight parables in Matthew chapter 13, all about the kingdom of God. There are lots of themes there, but I would say these are the three primary themes. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is growing. I should put a smile on your face. The kingdom of heaven is growing. Verses 31 to 33, here are a couple of short parables. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of bread she's making. Until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is growing. Jesus has already, at the beginning of this chapter, he's already given the parable of the sower as we know it. That's a parable in which growth is happening as well. Seed, the sower, God is scattering gospel seed, seed of the kingdom out everywhere and it's landing on all sorts of different soil, some of which is good soil referring to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100, 60, 30 times what was sown. There's an expectation that as God throws out gospel seeds, the seed of the kingdom, the truth of the kingdom, some of it's going to land on good soil and it's going to grow. And there's going to be a whole load of fruit. But here, it's specifically mustard seed. Mustard seed is tiny seed. There's a whole load in my hand there on the left and there's one stuck on the end of my finger on the right there. It's tiny. It's not the tiniest thing in the universe, but it's, Jesus is saying it's tiny. It's like a mustard seed. Mustard seed you may know, was also used of prayer. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, do you know what? That's all the faith you need. 
to pray. I should encourage you. Anybody given up on praying recently because, well, I just can't pray very well? That's how much you need. Keep praying. And yeast. Yeast not bought in a pack at Asda, but yeast being some highly fermented dough from a previous batch. And a woman is making a new batch. She gets, she's kept some old stuff and she puts it in the new batch, puts it in the oven and slowly, slowly it spreads through. Here's what Jesus is saying with these two parables. This is what it's like with the kingdom of God. It starts incredibly small. But the life within it, the life within the kingdom of God is so powerful that over time, like mustard seed, it grows to become the largest plant in the garden. And like yeast, it works all through the dough. Which is exactly what Jesus told us to expect, that this message of the kingdom must be preached until it reaches the ends of the earth. It was always going to be that way. Now, that's not a very glamorous message, is it? Imagine you, you start, a, you go to your employer and you say, I've got a new idea. And they say, what's the big idea? You say, no, 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 it's a tiny idea. So in fact, you can hardly see it. It's the smallest idea you've ever heard of. Well, you're not going to get much of a hearing, are you? But given the beginnings of God's reign through Jesus, this par- these parables make complete sense. Now, sure, Jesus was very popular at times, wasn't he? Crowds, large crowds followed him around, including the occasion for this parable. He's had to get into a boat because there's such great crowds that to speak to them, he's, he's had to get into a boat so that he can get away from them and then project his voice across to them. Huge crowds. But this is still where he is, a small, insignificant part of the world. No one's bothered about that part of the world. And think what his kingdom looks like at its most important and significant moment. In his death and resurrection. It's not a very impressive looking seed, is it? It's virtually non-existent. It's almost invisible. This makes sense. And yet, Old Testament prophecy spoke of a growing, ever-increasing kingdom, didn't it? For example, at Christmas, we always read this, of the greatness or the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Daniel chapter 2 has a famous prophecy about a whole statue. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, talking about Jesus. It shall stand forever. And then remember the words of the angel to Mary. Mary is utterly shocked that this angel appears to her and says, you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's utterly befuddled by that, quite understandably. She's never been near any man, certainly not in that culture. She is completely messed up in her head about it. What is going on here? But the angel reassures her somehow and then says, he, speaking of this baby Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a growing kingdom for sure. It may start almost invisible in a tiny corner of the known world where no one's really bothered about. It's not an important place. This guy comes, announces that he's the Messiah. It's the smallest thing you've ever seen. 
but it's a mustard seed. And you know what mustard seeds do? They grow. And they become the largest plant in the garden. It's like yeast in dough. Do you know what yeast is? It's almost, in fact, it is invisible. You hide it in the dough. We can't even see it. Can't see the mustard seed for a while either. You can't see the dough, the yeast in the dough, and yet it grows. So all over the world, even today, 2,000 years later, quietly, often hidden, the kingdom of God is growing. Let me tell you, in BCP, the kingdom of God is growing. Let me tell you, in the UK, the kingdom of God is growing. Church attendance may be falling. The kingdom of God is growing. Let me tell you, in persecuted countries around the world, though the church even has to hide at times, the kingdom of God is growing. And let me tell you, the kingdom of God is always going to keep growing. Whatever it looks like, whatever mankind tries to do to suppress it and snuff it out, the kingdom of God is growing. Some of which we're seeing here. People are a very long way back these days. With my glasses on, you're just a complete blur at the back. The kingdom of God is growing. And yet, secondly, until Jesus returns, the kingdom of heaven will coexist with evil. Does anybody ever ask you this question? I've been asked it a number of times. Do you think things are going to get better or worse? And they're usually coming from a point of view and they want to say, what do you think? Well, my answer is yes. <laughs> Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull, pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Further on, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Things going to get better or worse? Yes. Jewish expectations hit numerous problems with Jesus and his claims. And this was one of them. From Old Testament prophecy, or a surface reading of it at least, wasn't the Messiah going to come and establish God's rule in such a way that he would banish evil, defeating enemies, especially the Roman oppressors? Wasn't the Messiah going to come and pour out the Holy Spirit, restoring the Jewish nation to number one in the world in their eyes? Wasn't that what was going to happen? That's absolutely what the Jewish nation were expecting. Jewish expectation 
was that the coming of God's reign in the Messiah would eliminate the devil's activity alongside sin and evil and wickedness now. Messiah comes, new age comes, the kingdom of God comes, the Holy Spirit is poured out, surely evil enemies Wickedness are banished because the new age of the kingdom has come. Well, this perplexed even John the Baptist. John the Baptist has come blazing a trail for Jesus. He's the forerunner. He's building a highway on which Jesus will walk through. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Fascinating question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What has happened? A few years, a few while earlier, John the Baptist is blazing the trail. John the Baptist one day sees Jesus and says, the Lamb of God is here. Stop following me, follow him. John's been put in prison and now he's saying, To his followers, go and find out from Jesus, are you really the one? What's happened? What's happened is that the Jewish expectation of the coming of the kingdom of God has not happened as expected. If John's in prison, how can the kingdom of God have come? If the Romans are still in power, how can the kingdom of God come? If there's still trouble and sickness and so on, how can the kingdom of God have come? And the disciples have still got an element of this thinking after Jesus has been raised. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still expecting the same thing. So here is an unexpected twist. The kingdom has come near, as Jesus has announced, but it comes quietly, it comes slowly, and it grows alongside the devil's activity, alongside evil and wickedness and sin. Jesus is teaching in these parables that our experience of his kingdom will be both really here and not fully here. It's now and not yet. We have the foretaste of his kingdom, but not yet the full meal. God's enemies have been defeated, but God hasn't yet blown the final whistle on them. Which, let's be honest, is just how life feels. Doesn't that sound true to you? Is it wonderful to know God? Oh, dear. Oh my word, that's a worry. (laughs) I'm not trying to force a response, but that was worrying. It's wonderful to know God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's that inner knowing, I'm God's child. What have I done to achieve that? Nothing, but he achieved for me. I'm safe forever. The kingdom of God has come. God is reigning. 
Life is different because God is here. Bodies and minds are different because God is here. Communities are different because God is here. But it's also true that evil still exists. That is what Jesus is teaching. Just this last week, I've had conversations with people about major marriage difficulties, serious ill health, false imprisonment, family tragedy, significant family challenges, disappointment, and so on. You say, I thought God was reigning. Yeah, the weeds are growing while the wheat grows. And yet, the devil and sin and evil and wickedness and death, all of God's enemies and all of our enemies will be fully and finally banished at the end of the age, at his second coming, not at his first as was originally expected. This should be good news to you, what Jesus is saying here. Verse 40 in the first of those parables. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That day is coming when evil is banished, when God blows the final whistle and his already defeated enemies are fully and finally got rid of. Verses 49 and 50, the same message. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which raises a whole load of other questions and great sadness at the same time as the kingdom of God has come. So back to Matthew chapter 11 and John in prison. Jesus replied to John's disciples who had come to ask. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Yes, the kingdom has come. It's like Jesus is saying this, John, or maybe to you, John, don't mistake the delay in judgment on evil as the absence of the kingdom. Don't mistake the presence of evil as the absence of God. The kingdom has come. It is breaking in. It is advancing. It is growing. God is ruling. His reign is advancing. The blessings of the age to come are being tasted even now. And don't mistake the current delay in judgment on wickedness as the absence of future judgment. The kingdom of God is growing. And it's coexisting alongside evil. Final third theme in these parables, I think, is this. God plus nothing equals everything. Complex mathematical equation for you. More parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The first guy happens upon treasure. He wasn't looking for it. The second guy makes a living out of hunting for treasure. Their responses are the same. 
joyfully selling everything they have to have that one thing. Now elsewhere, Jesus talks about the cost of following him. Jesus is at least honest. He says, this is going to cost you everything to follow me, which is partly what this parable, these parables are saying. But if you'd asked these two men, okay, they're fictional, it's in a parable, but if you'd asked these two men, why are you selling or giving up all you have? You've lost so much, the cost seems too great. They'd have replied to you like this, are you nuts? What I've gained is worth giving up everything and anything. Simon Walker, a friend of mine, told a story once. He'd been to a Middle Eastern country and some refugees from Syria had come into that other nation in the Middle East and they'd had to leave everything. But while they were in this Middle Eastern country that they'd had to run to, they became Christians. And one lady who Simon was speaking to at that time, said this. Before we left, we had a home, but no Jesus. Now we have Jesus, but no home. We have not really lost much. How do you say something like that? I'll tell you how you say something like that. You say something like that, when Jesus is the treasure and is the pearl. When he really is worth giving up everything for. If only I can have Jesus to know him, to know God, to live under the reign of God, I will give up everything else. God plus nothing equals everything. Only God is the treasure of such worth and beauty that the wise man sells all he has to have God. Only God is the pearl of such great value and beauty that it makes perfect sense to forego everything else to have God. Because he is beautiful beyond description. He is perfect in every respect he is greater than anything and everything. And do you know why Jesus came and was preaching the kingdom of God and came to die and came to rise and came to ascend and prays for you now and is coming back again? So that you might know beauty. So that you might have more than I've had my sins forgiven, but I might have the treasure. I found treasure. I was searching for a pearl of great price. All my life is what I made my living out of. Or I stumbled across it, whichever. I found it. The reason for everything. The thing that makes life and eternity worth living. The beauty of forgiveness. The beauty of adoption. The beauty of knowing why anything exists. The beauty of knowing why I exist. The beauty of acceptance. The beauty of living in his glorious growing kingdom which we taste now and will feast fully forever when he returns. Happiness, one man said, is the whole soul, your whole being, Resting in God, 
and rejoicing that so beautiful and glorious a being is ours. There is nothing more I have to offer. There's nothing more I can suggest that our joy is found in knowing that God is ours and we are his. There is no greater treasure. That is the kingdom of God. That is the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. Hallelujah and praise God for bringing us into a reign of God like that. It's absolutely astounding. I want to encourage you. I'd like to pray and I'd like us to respond. I'd like to encourage you. The kingdom of God is growing. I want you to dare to believe it in your family. I want you to dare to believe it in your neighborhood. I want you to dare to believe it in your workplace, in your social settings. As you go, the kingdom of God is coming because God's in you. I want you to believe that again. And trust that the kingdom of God is growing. And I want to pray. I want to pray that everybody, which is all of us, but those who feel, yeah, I'm in the middle of the enemies of God and my own enemies, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling with ill health. I'm struggling with relational difficulties. I feel like the the devil's on my back. I feel like everything's against me. I feel like life in this world is just too hard. And I want to encourage you that Jesus said, that's how it will be. But the kingdom of God is growing. And he is with you at all times. I wonder if you would be brave enough. If you're in any of those categories, I'd just like to pray for you. Would you just stand where you are? You don't know, this is just such a battle. Which is all of us, I get that. We could all stand. But some of you are really battling Some of you are really fighting. Some of you in a workplace where it just feels like, man, am I the only sane person around here? There's corruption everywhere. Some of you feel like your family is just nuts and all over the place. God, what's going on here? Some of you are facing serious challenges, financial, relational, health, and so on. Would you just like to stand? I'd just love to pray for you. I want to encourage you that Jesus said, Yes, this is how it is. And don't assume this is the absence of God. It's really important you hear that. John's in prison. Jesus said, yes, the kingdom of God has come. Look, see there are signs of it. Any others? Let's just close our eyes, shall we? This is really important. Some of you have been wrestling with this. You've been wondering, where is God? Shall I tell you where he is? He is right with you. God cannot break his promise to never leave you or forsake you. Don't mistake the presence of evil with the absence of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you for strength. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, even in the midst of this. Peace, even in the midst of this. Patience, even in the midst of this. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, even in the midst of this. Self-control, even in the midst of this. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for weak knees to be strengthened. I pray for backs that are about to crumble, metaphorically, to be strengthened in Jesus' name.
We pray for truth that you are present and you are working to stay right with every single one of these people. Until that glorious day when you blow the final whistle. Come Holy Spirit. God might be speaking specifically to some of you. Maybe there's a particular truth that's coming to mind. Maybe it's simply a reminder. He is present. He is present. Truth invades our feelings. Our feelings do not dictate the truth. Lord, may the truth invade how life feels in the midst of challenge and trouble.